Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. Today, Diane and I are so excited to introduce you to a mom named Sarah. Sarah is from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she is actually one of the first moms that we've met through and because of this podcast. Sarah has four sons, two of which who have Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Together, we talk about the really unique situation in which they received their diagnosis and then received it again for their youngest son. We also talk about the future for a family with multiple special needs children with terrible diseases. We talk about how amazing and cool and awesome her family is when it comes to raising support and awareness and just letting the world know what Duchenne's muscular dystrophy is. We are back and today we have uh, Sarah as our guest. Welcome Sarah Kastner. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So Sarah, you uh, live in Minnesota and you have four boys and a husband. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Absolutely. Yes, I have a husband, Dan, and I have two older step boys by virtue of marriage, um, AJ and Ben, who are 17 and 19. And then we have a big gap. And then we have Caleb and Duncan, who only goes by Dunkey. Um, and Caleb is seven and Dunkey is five. Did he pick Dunkey or was that just, how did that happen? He did. Like he has some selective mutism issues. And finally one day, like literally after like a year, he was like, I was like, what trying to get at? Why don't you talk? And he's like, they call me Duncan. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> is that not your name? <laughs> My name is Dunky. And I we had called him that at home, but I thought he would go by, you know, mm-hmm. Duncan when he was at school. But no, he goes by Dunky. So Okay. Has yes. he had has he had Dunkaroos? Do you remember those cookies from when I we were do. Yes. Dunk the kangaroo into the icing? Yes. He needs like a Dunkaroo party. Dunkaroos. <laughs> yes, I like it. <laughs> go to Susan. She's like the Pinterest party. Planner. Sure. Maybe you are right. too, Sarah. But if you need a little help. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'll take the Dunkaroos. I like it for like a, a treat instead of like, here's your strawberry for your treat. <laughs> so we are going to direct our guests uh, to some information that you provided us, but we were able to watch um, a YouTube clip of your family. And one thing that stood out to me was that your boys have the ABCD name. And I loved that. I thought that was so cool. 
Yeah, yeah. So we had AJ and Ben, and that was happenstance, right? Because they were by marriage. And then Caleb was not intentional in terms of ABC, but we kind of realized it after we had Dunkey and we're like, we got to do a D name, I guess. So we thought of all these D names and Duncan is the, is the one that stuck after a hockey player that my husband liked at the time. I love it. That's so funny. So, um, let's start talking about Caleb and Duncan, not to, we'll, we'll get back to your other two boys, but, um, tell us about them. Who are they? What do they love? So Caleb is seven. Um, he is in first grade and he is, um, he loves numbers. He loves letters. He's like mind blowing intelligent. Um, and so the way in which he plays just like follows on that intelligence. Um, he is super like methodical. He's so sweet, although he has his moments, um, but he's, you know, like kind, even like you can tell in his features, like he's, his features are really like little and proper at the moment. They love minions. So we've gone through a cycle from Paw Patrol to PJ Masks. And now we're in this minion phase. Those are like the three big phases of life, I guess, between zero and seven. (laughs) And Dunky is um, very, very different. He's really, he's kind of a nutty. He's like crazy. He's always trying to push people's buttons, um, especially his brother. He's fun. He's just like always He's he's always telling jokes, even though he doesn't even know he's telling jokes, yeah. <laughs> which is funny because he's actually very, very shy, like super high anxiety, you know, doesn't talk in school. But yet, like at home, he's like the life of the party. And they're both verbal children, right? They are. They are both verbal um, and both walking at the moment. And really, it'd be so interesting to know what Dunky would actually like if Caleb like wasn't around because I feel like he just tends to like the same things. Like he's also really good at math and I don't even know if he likes it. He just like, is like, I guess this is what we do for playing. We take out our math tables. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that that's not something that my kids do for fun. Right. It would be nice <laughs> if they did. Both second borns. That's funny. So what disease affects your family? Both of my little boys have, Caleb and Dunkey have um, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And that is a the pediatric form of muscular dystrophy that they are lacking dystrophin, which is a protein, basically. So every muscle movement is degenerating their muscles. Basically, it, it, it ends at some point with your heart and your lungs because those are also a muscle and it usually just like follows a natural body progression. Like you use your legs the most so that you're taken off your feet. Then you use, lose the ability to eat because you can no longer move your arms and then your throat and even like your tongue and um, until eventually your heart and your lungs are, are compromised. Wow. So where my kids are being, your kids, I assume, are being pushed still to do PT and use their muscles and get stronger and stuff. But then... It's also the double-edged sword of the more we use it, the quicker we lose it. Is that correct? It is. It's you're exactly right on the nail. And I have a hard time with the balance. So like when we think about where do we want to spend our time knowing this disease, I'm like, how much do we do therapy? Because 
there's some parts of it that are good, but it's also, you know, we're, we're trying to conserve the energy basically to mm-hmm. give them more life out of both on their feet and, you know, when they're, when they're wheelchair bound. So excuse my ignorance, cause I don't know much yeah, about this disease, fine. but so if, if hypothetically they just sat on the couch all day, would that make their lives longer? It wouldn't. Um, I mean, eventually your heart is pumping. Yeah. And so that eventually will end up going in your lungs from breathing. I mean, potentially they might be able to like walk longer, if you will. Mm-hmm. But but that's why we carry strollers. Like wherever we go, we have our double stroller. And there's always an alternate option to walking, no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a tough balance because I'm sure you have to dive in and have a lot of conversations about quality of life, right? Because yeah. they're still yeah. young boys and they're still exactly. wanting, when they're capable, they're wanting to get outside and run and jump and play. And as a yeah. mom, maybe even in the beginning, I would have probably been like, wait a second. No, no, no. Let's go watch a movie. Let's go. Right. You know? Well, but, and we do that all the time. I, I'm like the crazy helicopter parent, but only because I have to be like, they want to go to the playground and I'm like, Oh, it like causes me so much anxiety, but I'm not going to hold that back from them when they can actually do it. Yeah. Because one day they may not actually be able to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And when we're outside, they just, I'm constantly saying no running, no running, no running. And they're like, but I have to. And we just encourage them to walk and, if they want to run, you know, and we're trying to, a lot of it is trying to minimize um, falls risks because that's mm-hmm. when you break right. bones and you really, it's really hard to recover from a broken bone. I think that is really interesting too, because it, I think it touches on the selflessness as moms um, that we have to present, right? Because I would selfishly say, no running, don't do this. Obviously you have to because of fall risks and broken bones, but because I want you here longer, I want your abilities to stay longer. And you really have to maybe at times put yourself on the back burner and say like, this is, this is, Be a you kid. know, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> this is what it is. Yeah. I will tell you, my husband is not as like over the top about it as I am. Oh, He's so, <laughs> right. He's we're such a good balance in terms of, He just sees today and I look at them and all I see is tomorrow or the future or what we might not have. And so if we both thought one way, um, it would be hard, but we both kind of, you know, take these different approaches to, to managing a disease. Yeah. I, we're very similar. Yeah, we are too. I mean, I mean, it's good balance. Is that like a male female thing? It must be. Like a mom well, I dad. feel like it's because, yeah, the females, I feel like we tend to be so like, we're planners, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't fix it. I get that. I tried to spend like the first year thinking about how do I fix this? And that's, it's not fixable. And I'm a fixer by nature. That's what I do. I do for work. Like I'm a solutioner. I find, you know, solutions to problems. But after um, we realized this isn't fixable, I was like, okay, well, at least I can figure out how to make it better while they're here, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's a big thing to come to terms with. Yeah. Tell us about getting Caleb's diagnosis and then Dunkey's diagnosis. Yeah. So we kind of went a long route, like many rare diseases to get a diagnosis for Caleb. 
I guess we essentially had a diagnosis when he was born. He was born via emergency C-section due to lack of fetal movement. Of course, like being a busy, well, I wasn't a mom at that. I was a stepmom, but had a weekend where I was just running around. I was 39 weeks pregnant. He was full term. And I sat down to work at Monday and I'm like, hmm, I, I don't think he's moved in like days. And I'm like, well, whatever, it's fine. I'll just do my work. And I, my sister's like, no, I think you should go in. Fast forward, his heart rate was about 300 beats per minute. And I drove myself to the hospital. They were like, do you need an ambulance? I'm like, mm, I'm good. Like my car's like in the parking lot. I don't want to leave it here all weekend. I'm good. I think <laughs> that that's a telltale sign that we will be good, badass special needs moms because right? I drove my Jeep to the hospital, I was like, and they got there like, is your husband here? I'm like, nah, I drove myself. Like, here's my pillow. Right. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> my husband was actually at a golf. He was, he used to be a um, golf professional until we had boys with special needs. Um, so he retired from that industry. But he was, I called him. I was like, yeah, I'm on my way to the hospital. Um, something isn't right. And he's like, ah, oh, shoot. I met like this golf thing <laughs> pretty, pretty far away without Fire. my car. And I was like, who does that? Your wife <laughs> is 39 weeks pregnant. You right. don't go anywhere, especially without a car. Right. Love you, honey, but who does that? <laughs> who does that? Men, I think. So anyways, he did make it in time, but um, I drove myself to the hospital and we had an emergency C-section and he had a heart condition. And often kids with Duchenne end up with heart conditions or heart arrhythmias, but apparently this is, so they say, totally unrelated. So we had that heart condition and then fast forward like 18 months and he, I, he wasn't walking. We were really dismissed by pediatricians, by many people. Oh, it's fine. You know, everyone reaches milestones at different times. But then when we started to look at the milestone chart, it was like, but things just weren't being reached. Like he didn't ever crawl. He never blew kisses, but no one really like expressed concern, but something like just didn't feel right. So we went through a whole rigmarole of trying to figure out what was wrong. MRIs, many MRIs. And finally they kind of said, well, we think Caleb has a mild form of cerebral palsy. So that was life-changing, super sad. I took a small leave from work. I was like, what are you talking about? CP. Then hindsight, like if only I wish. <laughs> said terrible. Like I was finally got to a point pretty quickly where I was like, this is manageable. You're talking about a physical disability for a little bit. Like I, we can handle that. But then fast forward, things just still weren't like right. And they started to think he was on the autism spectrum and they re um, recommended that we go see genetics. And in fact, it took me a little while to actually go to genetics after they, it was recommended because we had this diagnosis of cerebral palsy. So like, why would I continue on? Did you but feel any find, sort of validation as they were saying there could be this or there could be that? Did you as a mom who had felt it in your gut that something wasn't right? Did you, how'd that make you feel when they started listening and digging? I did, but I still felt like there was something missing and why we waited so long to go genetic to genetics. I don't know, but even like the neurologist called and said, I didn't sleep last night because of your case. 
we saw the MRI, we saw how Caleb presents himself. Something doesn't make sense, but like, I don't know what it is. Okay. (laughs) Do you feel as though you knew something more was going on yet? Every time they said, let's do this, you were like, why? No. You know, I I know there's something else and I want to figure it out, but I don't want to have to face figuring it out. You kind of don't want to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we did wait a while and then we found ourselves in like a complex care or coordinated clinic and they kind of brought it up again about genetics. And I was like, yeah, 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 fine. Okay. (laughs) We'll actually go to genetics. Um, And so that's when we found out we did basically like a whole blanket chromosomal array test because they just didn't know where to start. And that's what led down the path of muscular dystrophy. Unfortunately, our diagnosis, we were on spring break with our older boys in Belize we had done gone to genetics shortly before we left, and I saw this missed call from the hospital. I knew it was the hospital, and I'm like, I'm just going to call back. Like, I didn't even tell anybody. I just was, like, laying at the pool. I'm like, I'm going to go back to the villa and call. And it was, like, that was the news they delivered over the phone to me. I wasn't even with my kids. They were at home with my mom, and... um. Anyways, it was, in my mind, I don't know a good way to get a diagnosis, but it wasn't the right way. It was so devastating to have myself, even though I was with my husband and my older kids, but not even have my boys there to hold. And all they said was muscular dystrophy. And then I don't, I've heard of that, but I don't know what that is. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. Go to Google? Yep. (laughs) And then what, go sit back at the pool? Yeah, exactly. And so we did finish out the vacation, but it took a lot of convincing. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going home. I don't even know what's happening. And so that muscular dystrophy can go kind of various ways. But once we got home, we did some more blood work and found out that it was Duchenne, which is the most progressive and the most deadly, I guess, form of of muscular dystrophy. And how old was Caleb at this point? He was four. So from the time that we were told, you know, he was probably two when they gave us the CP diagnosis. So we spent a couple of years in like this state of unknown, but not a bad state of unknown (laughs) was actually okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The two years that you spent without the life or death part, I've had the life or death part for my kids since day one. Well, day 15, whatever, when we got the diagnosis and stuff. But looking back, I wonder how I would feel if I had had two years without the death sentence. Or I'm sure there's nicer ways of putting that, but we're moms with terminal kids. We can say death sentence. Right. How do you feel looking back on those two years? Like, Because I feel like I have a cloud over me all the time with the life or death part of my kid's disease. And at the time you didn't, but now you do. Yeah. And I, I'm actually like thankful for that time. What I remember even more than that, the six weeks between Caleb's diagnosis and Dunkey's diagnosis, where we literally had no idea that Dunkey also had this disease. No clue. No one asked if he had brothers. No one asked. If, no one even brought it up. And he was functioning just fine. And I remember having 
after my Caleb was diagnosed, some of my college girlfriends, we came together and went to like great, great wolf lodge with our kids or some weird place like that and just drank wine. And I remember like staring over his Duncan's crib and saying, I think he's fine. I know he's fine. And like deep down, I was like, I I think we chose to just like turn a blind eye, you know, but for that six or eight weeks that that's what we had to do to be able to grieve Caleb's diagnosis. Yeah. Cause I literally was in shock when they told us that Duncan also had this. I was like, what? And then sure enough, you think back. How did we get to the point? So you got home from Belize and then you did more testing. And at some point, did somebody say, does he have a brother or how did that? Yeah. Right. So they, through the blood work, found out it was a Duchenne and we were kind of sent on our way, like, so sorry, you know, wheelchair bound by eight or 10, probably live till they're 20. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have foot deformities and, you know, started as kind of, I don't know, it was a very negative, like, all right, this is what we walked away with. And then we went in to do more testing at a different facility. And that is this one particular neurologist. We were there for two days of appointments, basically all day. And um, he finally did say, now does, is, you know, does there a brother? Did I read that? And I said, yeah, donkey. He said, oh, could I see him? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, You'll bring him into this. Like, no. I said, no. I said, no. And my husband's like, Sarah, let him see him. And I'm like, no. And I like, that was the moment where I'm like, I can't believe that we have to do this again. And like knew all of a sudden all the, the pieces kind of came together. So he went out to the lobby where Dunkey was with my mom and he watched him for six seconds, literally, and was like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh. what? Like, how do you know so fast? Like, literally, we had no idea. So he felt his calves and there was like fatty tissue buildup and watched him get up off the floor. And then that was all of our other appointments were abruptly canceled. I'm <laughs> like, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah. So, so those six weeks between Caleb and Duncan were like, just so, so hard because of Caleb. But I actually remember like the beauty of the ignorant bliss, I guess, for lack of a better terms of thinking Duncan's fine. Like, this is fine. We can do this. But now there's two of them. I just can't imagine being you in that appointment. In my mind, I'm just kicking and screaming, going, no, do not bring my other kid in here. Like, no, I do not want you to see my other kid because I do not want to hear what you have to say. We found out Benji had it through an amnio. So I hadn't met Benji yet and I hadn't seen him in a different way. And now I think if I had another child, like it's like throwing yourself in front of a train saying, no. No, do right. not do this to me. No, do not. Like, do not let him in this room. Right. And, you know, I we think like, or I at least think selfishly, like, I can't believe my legacy or who I am isn't going to, like, live on. My kids will never have kids. I will never be a grandma. I mean, I have my two older stepkids, but through the birth of my own child, you know, it, like, mm-hmm. takes you on this downward spiral of all of the 
things that are going to be withheld from you because both of your kids will, you know, pass before you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a quick pause. Are you a medical or special needs mom looking for a community of people who just get it? You are invited to join us in the 4AM Mom Club. Yep, that's the name of our bonus content, but it is also the name of our community. Moms just like you and me, we laugh together, cry together, and we support each other through this crazy life. You can learn more at whenautumncomes.com. Go to the top of the page and click on the button that says 4AM Mom Club. See y'all there. So you've done a ton to bring awareness to Dushan. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was part of like my coping mechanism, I think. <laughs> Once we found out that they had Dushan, I was like, and, and they kind of sent us on our way about, I'm so sorry, and let's just watch this happen. And I'm like, Mm-mm. yes, okay, because I can't fix it, but I have to do something. And so that same kind of group of friends, we, I was like, all right, I have to think of a tagline. Like I'm going to, I don't want to start this big non-for-profit and have this whole clinical board and quit my job, you know, but I just like want to do something. And so we started just our own advocacy group called Kasner's Kick Duchenne. We basically just exist so that we can tell our story and other people can know about Duchenne because I didn't know. I knew what muscular dystrophy was and I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't know. I have never heard the term Duchenne. Same with Mito. I didn't know what, I mean, that's your every day now. I didn't know what it was until I met you guys or listened to your stories. And I was like, how do I not know about this? Yeah, it's all of these diseases. I think being in the rare disease community, when you start to talk to people, it's one term, you know, that changes your life. Mm-hmm. For me, mitochondria. Yeah, I remember that from eighth grade bio. But what? What do you mean? Right. So, and you never think it'll affect you. And oh, your kids, I should have paid better you know? attention in biology class, though. <laughs> right. But now I bet we all like. I feel like I'm basically a neurologist or like yeah, a neuromuscular yeah. physician. I'm like, <laughs> it's amazing when go. life takes you on that abrupt abrupt turn. You know, you were talking about your legacy, and I'm not going to have grandkids and. My boys aren't going to be here. And yet that is your legacy. Like, look at you building this. Maybe not something that you actually wanted. And I think we all have feelings of that. If somebody asked me to do this, I'd have been like, no. No way. Not signing up for that. (laughs) And yet, like, here we are. And you're bringing awareness. And it is beautiful, but so damn hard. And sharing your story today, for example, is bringing hope and comfort and support to other moms who are sitting, maybe not in Belize, but maybe in a conference room with a, you know, a doctor, but are going to walk out here and Google this disease. And that's why we're all doing this. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So speaking of talking to people about this, how did you talk to your older boys about what was happening? Because of the way, and like I said, I don't know the best way to deliver news like this, but I envision me going into like a conference room, like what one of you did, right? With all your Mm -hmm. doctors sitting around and said, okay, let's talk this through. Well, instead it was this phone conversation and I literally, my legs fell out from underneath me. I dropped to the floor and 
I was screaming and bawling and that's how my kids found out. And that's actually like, I'm, I was okay with, however, I was given the news for myself, but not to watch my older boys have that unfold in front of them. It was traumatizing, I think, but gosh, they like literally grew up in an instant. They became men, you know, because they don't have any other choice. Like, think about, I mean, that was three years ago. So they were still, you know, high school age, but early years and just all they're thinking about is like getting their license and hanging out with girls and sports. And then now they're thrown this like huge life changing event where we're so sorry, but you know, this is what your brothers have and you're going to have to watch that happen. I think that's the hardest part for them is I think they, they emulate my husband in that they just look at them as they are today But as it starts to progress, I just think it'll get so much harder for them to come to terms with. Do you talk about the life or death stuff? Is that a conversation that your family openly has? We do. We're overly transparent about their disease. I wouldn't say overly, but very transparent about their disease and what's to come, both with them and the older boys, just because I don't want to hide things from them. I think there is just like us, like a point where if you start to come to terms with it, it doesn't make it easier, but at least you know what to expect. And even with my little boys, we say you have special muscles and this is what's to come. I mean, my we are used to seeing kiddos in wheelchairs and I think that used to be scary and now it's just the norm. We started to talk about it with Caleb because he's very close to needing that. And I also get them to kind of behave or comply when I I don't threaten them with their disease, but I just tell them like, I'm sorry, we have to go to another doctor's appointment, but it's only because these doctors want to help your special muscles. Knowing for them, knowing that it gets them to, they have to think like a little bit more about it. So yeah, we're, we're pretty open. You bring so much comfort because I don't know my daughter's outlook. We don't even have a diagnosis, but being a potential mitochondrial disease, it typically is life shortening. And her and her sister are like the best of friends. And I don't talk to a lot of people about it because I think that so many people right now are like, you don't know what the future is going to hold. You don't even know what her diagnosis is. But I will say that that is one of like my biggest fears of having to tell my middle daughter you know, that her sister isn't going to be here, you know? And so thank you for sharing that because I know that I live in a place that I kind of keep that thought and feeling behind closed doors because it's a really terrifying thought. And it's hard to share because you know, the response, or I assume the response I'm going to get from other people is like, don't go there. Why would you go there? You know? And like you said, it's somewhere you have to go because I want to know what's going to come. I want to know that this may be a possibility. It makes it a little bit easier to swallow. So I know that, I hope that that comment, I know for me it was comforting and I think for a lot of people listening, it will be too. Yeah, and I feel like it actually changed the way in which our older boys interact with our family. They want to do more that they maybe wouldn't want to do otherwise when they're high school aged. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to come over and play with the boys. I mean, we they're not like, built-in babysitters by any means. I won't give you that picture. <laughs> but we interact, I think, differently than than yeah. we would. And the time is just so much more special to them. Yeah. 
And so that maybe that would, at some point when the time is right, if it's right, be, you know, something, an outlook your daughter might have. Yeah. I think adversity brings a lot of positivity and perspective, but it's really hard on a mom's heart to watch your kids have to go through that. You know, like they're likely going to grow up with a perspective that really nobody else has, but what an amazing gift that your boys have gotten, but yet you know what they have to go through to receive that gift and to share it with the world, you know, and that's very hard. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I think the way your family dynamics appear from an outsider's perspective, it's kind of cool that the two older boys have each other and the two younger boys have each other because the two older boys are going to go through buckets of emotion that the two of them can relate to each other when, when, and if things start to happen to the little brothers, they will have each other and the little brothers for now have each other. And it's kind of just a cool dynamic. Mm -hmm. It is. And they're actually like mini me's of different moms but apparently mom the mom didn't come into play like they're really AJ is or Caleb is the exact replica of AJ and Dunky is the replica of Ben but it is this weird blessing where I would never wish upon like both of them the little ones to have this disease I'm like oh my gosh they're gonna grow up they're 17 months apart actually knowing what the other person feels Um, Mm -hmm. And so for that, that's kind of cool. They'll always have each other. With my kids, I feel like they're just so different and rare that it's cool that they have each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having that train come at you thinking, does my second child have this? But now looking back, I'm not okay that both of my children have a terminal (laughs) disease, but you got to make the best of it. So the fact that they have each other, it helps in some ways. Yeah, some small way. Sarah, there's one more question. You're three years post-diagnosis, correct? Did you say? Correct. Mm -hmm. So what do your good and bad days look like three years post-diagnosis? How did you get out of that feeling of despair? When did that come for people that are maybe newly diagnosed with something similar? Um, Yeah, so I, upon the Duchenne diagnosis, I had to step away from my job. Um, and my husband now stays home with the kiddos because if we didn't do that, we'd have to have living care. But I found myself, I, I remember the day when I was on a conference call at work and I was constantly getting phone calls from physicians. If you miss a physician call, then it's really hard Good to luck. get them again. As yeah. know, right. And so I was like on this call, but then I was like, oh, you know, let me answer this quick. And then I couldn't do both. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. So I spent six or seven weeks completely stepping out, um, taking a leave of absence. And that was really helpful to me. If there's any opportunity for people going through the same thing to just refocus and repurpose my life and almost like create this new normal that really is not normal because it's changing and flexing every day as their disease progresses. But I just had to be able to show up at something or do something without bawling hysterically, you know? And I couldn't do that unless I just focused on like really what was happening. But that being said, gosh, I still struggle like looking at my kids without the Duchenne part of it. I just do. I mean, they are so amazing, but I'm always like looking at them for 
oh, look, you know, like, oh, he's more contracted on his right foot. Is tomorrow the day that he's never going to walk again? That still stares me in the face every day. Hard to turn off the medical. It can't. Yeah, you can't turn it off. But I at least don't stare at them and cry all day anymore. (laughs) That's so refreshing. And do you feel, I know Susan has spoken about milestones and birthdays, knowing this is progressive, knowing they're, you know, we we never want to put a time limit on our kids, but there's always it between this age and this age, this is what you can expect. Is that hard for you or are you able to celebrate birthdays or accomplishments or schools, you know, school years? Yeah, no, you're right on. I have this saying where we all say, moms are always like, oh, I wish my kids were little again. And, you know, I remember the day and I'm like, no, I wish my kids got to grow up. They are not going to be able to grow up. We celebrate birthdays because (laughs) we need to for our kids. But that is a day that really is hard on me on the insides. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And still with trials that are out there. I mean, we're aging out of trials that could potentially help us be so hard. Yeah. It's just like every day, it's like time gone, you know, Mm -hmm. but we try not to focus on that thing. I mean, we are actually, I like kind of pride ourselves in being a fun family and creating a fun environment, regardless of the diagnosis. We do a lot of things like try to do a lot of fun things and live in the moment because who knows? We do that because we're good moms and we're trying to make the fun for our kids because we know the bad on the other side. Like, I don't want my kids to realize what's on the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. I, I, wa- I will carry that burden for them so that they we will have a Grinch birthday party and we will have XYZ so that they can see the joy and not that I cry myself to sleep every birthday. Right. Yeah. So Sarah, what gives you hope? So a few things come to mind. One is just people like you. I mean, you're not in the Dushan community, but you're there are people out there that want to like help other families and moms or dads going through similar feelings. So that gives me hope. It doesn't it helps me to not feel so alone. I would say some of the trials for Duchenne or muscular dystrophy, this term gene therapy has actually been life-changing for some kids. And that has been exponentially happening in the Duchenne landscape in the past just two years. So that gives me hope. It's like a glimmer of hope. I don't put all my eggs in that basket. It's just like, ooh, maybe if in time to buy them some time, basically, not to cure the disease, but to buy them some time here on earth. And then our faith, I think, gives us a lot of hope. We know what's to come, but there's, if we just keep continuing to put our faith in the Lord and know that there's only one place to go and we'll all be together again. Amen. We love us some Jesus over here. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your kids and your family and everything with us today. Thank you. Well, we spoke with Sarah today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. She was so uplifting and hopeful. And honestly, I have not connected with anybody 
in all these years who also has two kids with a disease like this? I take that back. I have another Mito family that I've connected with, but to have a heartfelt conversation like that, it just, it was really comforting to have somebody kind of get it. Yes. And the authenticity was incredible. I mean, her authenticity, yet her positivity and realness was just so refreshing. And I think I really connected with her having, you know, two other boys. And I I loved the conversation about how they spoke about it and what gifts it gave them, but also having to feel that pain as a mom. So thank you, Sarah. We do not take this conversation lightly, and we're just so thankful that you're bringing awareness to the muscular dystrophy community, specifically Duchenne. And uh, we just wish you the best. We will share some links for their family campaign and some Duchenne links so that any families who are affected by this can also reach out to Sarah or get in touch with some of her resources. Mm -hmm. Well, this is Diane. And I've got to go put hat and mittens on because it is cold here. And this is Susan. And I'm going to go Google things to maybe take a spring break. Like... (gasps) A staycation spring break? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. I I think we might go to the Outer Banks. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. Bye, guys. guys. Thank you. Bye. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.